Welcome to Spooky or Bust, a podcast exploring the world of all things paranormal, serial, and conspiratorial. Next to me is my friend November. And that's MW. Welcome, guys, to a new episode. Today we are going to be uh, talking about things that happened in Tennessee. Um, I actually lived in Clarksville, Tennessee from June 1995 to like June, August of 1998. Um, so I did live there for a little bit. Um, and then... So I've visited. I've, I've only been to like Nashville, <laughs> Pigeon Forge, yeah. places like that. Like tourists, like I was a tourist in Tennessee. That's all I ever did there. <laughs> uh, you kind of got the experience. Right. But I feel like on this episode, we kind of like switched roles. Like you did more of like a true crime mm-hmm. for your story, right? And yeah. mine is like haunted. Like mine's a haunting, which you know I like hate that shit. So <laughs> the fact that I'm telling this story, I'm kind of like, something going to like come after me? Like, we're going to get haunted now. (laughs) So, part of the reason that we switched roles is, like I mentioned, so I lived in Clarksville, Tennessee um, for a short time. And this, the story that I'm talking about today um, actually happened while I was living in the area. Um, So, it was something that, like, granted, I was a little kid. I think I was in, like, the fourth or fifth grade. Um, But, so, like, I remember, like, talking to my family and and kind of looking back on it. Kind of remember a little bit of, of what was going on at the time. Um, so I'm actually going to start first mm-hmm. and this is going to be, girl. <laughs> this is going to be Paul Dennis Reed Jr. AKA the fast food killer. So Paul Dennis Reed Jr. was born November 12th, 1957 in Texas. According to it takes a killer and bizarrepedia.com, his parents split and he stayed with his paternal grandmother. Growing up, he was always in trouble. Sources say that he abused animals, bullied children, stole and destroyed property, and even at the age of four, he attempted to murder his grandmother and tried to set her on fire. Absolutely, yeah. Isn't that (laughs) what all kids do? What? (laughs) You know. I mean. When in Texas. When when in Texas. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) So a priest finally advised her to send eight-year-old Paul to a boy's home, fearing for her safety and the safety of others. Apparently... This did nothing for him, and he only got worse. So, I can see that as well. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. From then on, he committed robberies, used drugs, attempted to sexually assault his mom and sister at one point. Ugh. According to... All around stand-up guy. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Kind of like when we were talking about uh, the last story, you know? What does he do when he gets out of jail? Robs Robs a bank. bank. (laughs) (laughs) Good point. (laughs) So, his record just keeps growing from juvenile into adulthood. He eventually is charged and convicted of armed robbery in the early 1980s of a Houston, Texas steakhouse. However, he only served seven of his 20-year sentence and was let out on parole. Considering it said he assaulted hospital and prison staff and was labeled as a potential menace to society, I'm not sure how that happened. But he Overcrowding, ev- <laughs> I'm sure. Probably. But if he's a menace to society, even overcrowding shouldn't getting pushed out that should get like the guy that had an ounce of weed on him or like a dime bag pushed out you know yeah i don't know i'm not gonna pretend to know anything about the prison system (laughs) (laughs) so eventually he starts to move around making his way from texas to oklahoma to illinois and eventually to nashville in the mid-1990s with a dream of becoming a country singer hell yeah (laughs) Along his journey, he got plastic surgery and created a stage name, Justin Parks. 
He puts on the charm, learns to play guitar, even releases a demo, but never gains the music career he's seeking. Instead, he gets a job at Shoney's. On February 15th, 1997, in Donaldson, Paul goes into a Captain D's at the end of night and says he's looking for a job. They give him... Sorry, I was just going to make a comment about Captain D's. We only had one that I know of, like where I was from, and I've never eaten there. Have you ever been there before? Isn't it like Long John Silver's? It, it kind of is. It's like their competitor, and I feel like like when I lived in Illinois, like outside of St. Louis, yeah, we had Long John Silver's. When I lived in Tennessee, like in Clarksville, like, yeah, this is random, but like, it was like Captain D's, a... She's showing me on a map, you know, yeah, with her hands brain. where this is going, <laughs> just so you guys know what's the sh- what the internal struggle is right now. I'm trying to think of my brain. No, actually, I'm trying to blank. I'm blanking out on the name of this restaurant. Sonic. Okay, so it's Captain D's and like oh, a cross with Sonic. Sonic and then, makes like, me sick. It, yeah, it's... I feel like, you know, when you live, like, in that kind of area, like, it's just all junk food. Like, there was... Uh, not even that. I was just... I physically get <laughs> sick anytime I eat there. <laughs> oh, that's not good. Yeah. <laughs> so, I've only had it a couple times. No, right. Yeah. Captain D's, I was very, like, very much, like, the same. Like, they sold kind of the same stuff. Yeah. But I felt like it tasted different. But, I mean, I was a kid, so what do I know? Yeah. I never ate there, but, like, we had... So, like, in my hometown, we had Long John Silver's in this tiny freaking building like there is oh they're always small it's so tiny like it literally looked like a freaking dollhouse like it was so small and then in the next town over in greenwood we had captain d's but i'm pretty sure that captain d's is still there but i've never been there i feel like they're both really small stores too but for some reason i feel like long john silver's went out of business though i have not seen one since they removed the one in, in franklin i have not seen one in years there's one I think in Kissimmee or Apopka. Let's go get ho- let's go get horrible fish. If oh they have malt gosh. vinegar, I'll eat it. Oh, they do have malt vinegar. Oh I, yes, I will eat. I will eat the shit out of that. Then their love, chicken and their hush puppies are like my favorite thing. I love white fish, French fries, and malt vinegar. As weird as that sounds. Oh my gosh, we're gonna have to do this. Yeah, I got addicted to it as a kid. Like my papa used to take <laughs> me whenever we would come down to whenever we go to Florida on vacation. He'd be like, we're going to go get seafood, and this is how you're going to eat it. <laughs> and I was not allowed to eat it any other way. We did not use horseradish. We used malt vinegar. Interesting. Yeah, isn't that weird? I mean, I'm not really a seafood person, but I know, like, they have malt vinegar there, I feel like so that's I feel like a, it has to be common. Yeah, like, I feel like that's such a weird condiment, though. Like, I have not, never met anyone else that eats it besides me and my papa. Really? Yeah. I don't know. I think that... I just always assume, like associated that with seafood. Yeah. Because I always remember, like... Oh, that's all I eat it on. Doing it. Yeah. And french fries. It's delicious on salty as fuck french fries. That sounds weird. <laughs> anyway, continue, continue. Oh, so well, anyway. like salt and vinegar chips. <laughs> like salt and vinegar french fries. That's fair. But I don't like salt and vinegar chips. So why I like that, I don't know. As long as you eat it, that's all that matters. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I don't know how we got into this tangent. Please oh, continue. Gosh. I'm very sorry. Anyways, so he goes to Captain D at the end of the night. He says he's looking for a job. They give him an application and he leaves. He comes back the very next morning with the application, talks his way in, and he kills the manager, Steve Hampton, who is 28, and Sarah Jackson, who is 16. Oh, man. He shoots Steve three times in the back of the head, and then he shoots Sarah Jackson. Um, he continues to go about his business, but realizes she's still alive. Paul actually finds her trying to pull herself up after having shot her, and oh, then he God. shoots her two more times. Um, he takes a surveillance tape and leaves with the money. Mm. According to It Takes a Killer, the timeline is, so 8.15, 
Steve talks to the regional director for 15 minutes. At about 8.54, 8.55, a woman drives past and sees two men in the doorway talking. At 9.30, a man is driving by and sees a man walking to his car from the entrance. At about the same time, another employee who is uh, coming in to start their shift, Michael Butterworth, shows up to the work and sees the tables on top of the chairs. Like, when you close a restaurant, you put the tables on top of a chair and then you, like, sweep oh, them the, off the yeah, floor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he comes in and sees all that still kind of the same way, and the door is locked. So he tries to get in. He can't. He goes to a store nearby and borrows their phone to call the store, but no one answers. Mm. He then calls another employee whose dad is a cop to try and get help. Nashville police get in and find bodies, and then they find out that more than $7,000 and then Steve's wallet is missing, and the wallet is supposed to have had $600 in that, which was supposed to be his rent money. Oh, I was just about to ask why he had so much money in his wallet. (laughs) (laughs) He He was prepared. I don't know. Like, I feel like... Working around money, I would be, like, nervous having that much money in my yeah, life. Yeah, that's people my... think you, like, stole it. Right. But... That's my point. Yeah. Like, working with, you know, being retail manager in the past and, like, working for fast food, like, you don't carry that kind of cash with you. Yeah. Also, I'm surprised that the Captain D said seven grand on. I guess I don't really know how much the safe had at McDonald's when I worked there, but. Yeah, I don't know. I, I never know... really looked at them. The money was it. It was all that mattered to me. Right. Each register was only, like, a hundred bucks starting. Probably, but that, I feel like... I think that's what ours were, but, but and there were only one, two, three, four. There were only four drawers, maybe yeah. five. But there may have been money in, like, the safe, and they were, like, taking the money right, out right, of the right. safe and, like, putting it in a tray. I don't know, like, I never counted the drawer. My only concern was at the end of the night that all of the money was there, so no one thought something shady was happening. Right, so, like, I didn't steal anything. I'm a good employee. My drawer is right. <laughs> right, please, please don't fire me. All the money's there. I didn't mess anything up. I want to keep 16, my job. I'm damn it. Right? <laughs> I just want to go to work so I can earn money for clothes. This is my first job. I'm still in high school. Right? I feel like like your first job, like there's so much pressure not to mess anything up. And I feel like for some reason, every kid's first job is a food place. Because it's they're, the, they're always the ones that hire. That's fair. Hire kids that young. Like it's so hard. I mean, when I was, because I did a lot of hiring when I was in retail. Mm-hmm. And not that I didn't hire kids that were in high school, but I would have preferred a someone that was in college that's fair or someone that was a little bit older. also if you're under 18 you can't work in the store by yourself True. so it's a whole thing like you have to have someone else there and when you don't have the budget for that yeah like, we wouldn't hire anyone unless they were 18 because we worked by ourselves oh okay i worked there were days where i worked open to close in the store by myself that's that sounds rough i know like, oh it was it was horrible but that does sound terrible when i worked at popeyes i know like you had to be a certain age to work the fryers. But I think other than that, I feel like not even just fast food. Like, I know, like, when I got my first job, I felt like I had to, like, fill out an application. And, like, I had to have an interview. And I feel like I had to, like, impress somebody. Yeah, because you're so young. Yeah. And, like, then I went to IHOP. And I don't even think I submitted an application. They were, like, <laughs> you they worked talked at, to me. Wait, you worked at IHOP? Yeah. Why did I not know that? <laughs> <laughs> I worked at an IHOP. I worked at a Texas Roadhouse. And I feel like when I went to the restaurants... Yeah. I felt not even, like, there. I just didn't feel like there was any pressure. Like, you went in and, like, you just talked about, like, what your interests were. And they were like, okay, you start tomorrow. But, like, when I applied for Burger King, I felt, like, so much pressure. Weird. I Yeah. I don't know. I Maybe it was my first job. I, I don't know. I think restaurant versus fast food was completely different as far as getting a job. That's fair. 
Because I mean, restaurant like as a server, you're you're in control of how much money you make, basically. That's true. Because if you're a dick, you're yeah. probably not going to make as much money as a server that smiles all the time and is really nice. Yeah. As bad as that sounds. I but. remember we had to watch a video at IHOP, and like I, the one thing that always stuck out in my mind was in the video. It was like you want to make sure that you check on your tables, but you don't hover over them. Yeah. And like you had to gate like. And the video was, like, gauging, you know, like, does it seem like they're celebrating something special, want to be left alone? But at the same time, like, who goes to IHOP to, like, celebrate? I mean, like, maybe if you're doing it with, like, a whole big family, but, like... Oh, my sister and a bunch of her friends went to IHOP for her 16th birthday. Really? Yeah, there was, like, 15 of them. Oh, my gosh. They I... went to IHOP. That's where they went. <laughs> so she wanted to go to IHOP, so they went to IHOP. I don't know. I don't know. I feel like... IHOP has some damn good pancakes, though, and they're cheap. But we always went, like... And they have strawberry night. syrup. Oh, yeah, because they're 24 true. hours. Yeah, like, we went, like, late at night. I always mix strawberry and blueberry syrup with my pancakes. That's weird. <laughs> it was good. What? Oh, my gosh. No, it was, like, a late at night, and we, we just didn't had a conversation about how I eat malt vinegar. You think strawberry and okay, blueberry syrup mixed together is weird? That's true. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Hmm. Well, so this poor man lost his wallet with his $600 in it. And his life. This is true. <laughs> The wallet is found the next day. Of course, no money. And the only thing that they could even sort of get any sort of evidence off was uh, he had a video card. And there was a partial print on it. So because it wasn't a full print, they really couldn't get anything out of it. Right. They could still try to run it through. Yeah. But they weren't really successful in finding anything. Mm. So March 23rd, 1997, at a McDonald's on Lebanon Road in Hermitage. So not far. At 11 p.m., Andrea Brown, 17, Ronald Santiago, 27, Robert A. Sewell Jr., 23, and Jose Gonzalez are ending their shift when Paul approaches them at gunpoint and forces them back in the restaurant. He robs them and then moves them into the storeroom and shoots Andrea, Ronald, and Robert, each twice execution style. When he attempts to shoot Jose, his weapon fails and Jose tries to fight back. At this point... Paul pulls or finds a knife and ends up stabbing Jose 17 times in the neck and back and leaves him for dead. Jesus. So Jose plays dead and waits for Paul to leave. Paul takes the cash from the register and flees the scene. Once Jose thinks that the coast is clear, he crawls his way to the phone and calls 911. When the police arrive, Jose is taken to the hospital, treated, and actually survives. Hell yeah. Right? Talk about a survivor. Go, Jose. The only problem is, when the police speak to him, the description he gives of the killer does not match that of the Capamese attacker. Okay. So, at this point, they're trying to figure out... If it's the same person. Correct. And, you know, at this point, you have to think, in the 90s, these are kind of small towns. Right. Everybody's now on edge. Like, if they haven't already thought about quitting their job at fast food place, they're probably thinking it now. Yo, for sure. And the cops are kind of circling the areas and trying to figure out okay if he's gonna hit somewhere next what's it gonna be yeah so like you have to try and canvas all of these areas and all of these fast (coughs) food places yeah so sorry what was that restaurant again that was mcdonald's so first was captain d's and this is mcdonald's mcdonald's okay okay sorry i've been up since 4 a.m so like (laughs) and it's now almost seven o'clock and i am not in my right my like <laughs> right headspace. So if I ask question, multiple questions, just either ignore me or <laughs> you can do it. Thank you. Oh my god, I'm struggling. So on April twenty third, nineteen ninety seven, 
in Clarksville, Tennessee. So this is about 50 miles, depending on who's driving. And this is where you're from? Yes. Okay. Or not where you're from, where you live for a few, yeah. for a while. So um, my aunt and my cousins still live there. Okay. Um, actually, two of my aunts. So they still live there, but like when this happened, it was my mom, myself, my sister, and then like my aunt and uncle and their kids. Okay. So again, this is about an hour. I mean, like honestly, it really depends on who drives. My uncle Pat used to drive so fast. Yeah. Um, so it's about 50, about an hour, depending. So at a Baskin Robbins, Michelle May, 16, and then the manager, Angela Holmes, 21, they're closing up their shop at 9.58, the last customer leaves. Paul convinces them to let him in and takes the money and forces them into his car. At 10.10, Michelle's brother arrives to pick her up. Craig waits 15 minutes and then tries the door, realizes it's unlocked, goes inside, but no one's there. Immediately thinking something's wrong, he calls 911. Mm-hmm. The cops don't show up until about 10.50. Um, so it's been an hour? It's about 40 minutes. Okay. Well, because she, he gets her at 10.10. He waits about 15 minutes, so it's less than that. Okay, okay, okay. But So they arrive at about 10.50, 10.51. Um, they find the top of the floor safe on the office desk. Both purses are still left behind, but about $1,200 and the videotape are gone. They do find a shoe print, but they don't find the girls. Okay. The next morning at Dunbar Cave, Angela's body is found face down in a shallow part of the lake. And then Michelle is found in the woods about 100 yards away from Angela. Their throats were slit and they were stabbed. Angela, her throat was slit so bad she was almost decapitated. Ugh. And Michelle was stabbed 14 times. So at this point, he's like, just liking the murder. Yeah, he's he's definitely escalated. They, they do talk about it. They say that at this point, it seems like, or when they find him, mm-hmm. it seems more like he's into murdering as opposed to the money because they still find some of like the money, like some of the money that he takes from the register. You know, obviously when you think about at a fast food place, a lot of that is coins. You think, like, they probably have, like, rolls of, like, each yeah. set. You know, like, I think quarters was, like, $10, and, like, mm-hmm. it went down from there. But, like, they found jugs of just the coins. So, like, weird. he never, like, deposited them or anything. That's so weird. Yeah. Like, why? Wouldn't that just weigh you down? Like, why would you take the coins? I guess unless they had, like, a separate bag or something. Well, they find them at his house. Like, when they, when they find all this later, that's mm-hmm. where they find it, and that's where they're kind of, like... Maybe he was enjoying the kill more than the money because he's obviously not spending the money. Oh, okay. I see what you're but, saying. Okay. So at this point, you know, they they still don't really have much to go on. Um, they're, you know, obviously trying to source out all their leads, see what they can find. Mm-hmm. Not really coming up with enough to, to go after any one particular person. So Mitch Roberts, who was the manager at the Shoney's where Paul was a short order cook. Um, he actually, Mitch Roberts, had previously fired Paul in February, um, a few days before the Captain D murders, after he threw a serving plate, which hit another worker. Well... Fair for being fired. Yeah. (laughs) So, there's actually, and you can, can look this up on YouTube. So, the night that Paul shows up at his house, they think they're gonna have to put their dog down... And so kind of all the families all together, like kind mm-hmm. of having this like one happy moment before the sadness comes. Right. 
And so the son actually is videotaping kind of this this moment. And you see at the very end of the tape, Paul actually shows up at the door and you like see him in the videotape. Oh, that's creepy. Yeah. So it's it's like He's later like standing there. Well, he like comes to the door and like kind of like waves or you know oh, okay, to get their okay. attention. Um, but so he shows up. So Paul shows up at Mitch's house um, and asks for his job back. Mitch tells him they can work on it tomorrow, and he walks Paul out. At this point, they've, you know, his wife is kind of like, something seems off. This is kind of late at night for something to be going down. Like, right. Like, why is he go. here right now? Yeah. Yeah. So, like I said, he walks Paul out to the car. At this point, Paul tells him he has proof in the trunk of his car that other employees are stealing from work, and he wants to show. So... Paul shows him, like, he opens the back of his trunk. He shows him that there are prepackaged steaks from Shoney's. And at this point, Mitch realizes that Paul's car matches the description that they are looking for. Because oh, yeah. at the one one of the few tips that they had to go on from everything that happened at Baskin-Robbins is a red car that was seen both at Baskin-Robbins and then at Dunbar Cave later. Oh, okay. So he notices, hey, this is the car that, that they're looking for. And he kind of instantly is like, this is not good. Right. So, in the episode of Cold Blood, they actually do an interview with Mitch. And he says, I knew I needed to try and get back in the house and get away from him. He ran around in front of me and pulled a gun and took a pair of handcuffs out of his pocket and handed to me. And he told me to put them on, as if it was a joke. He said, hey, th- this isn't funny. It's not cool, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and Paul tells him it's not a joke. So he gets really scared, and he says, I'll talk to you tomorrow, and turns around and starts to walk back to the house. Mm-hmm. Paul begins to follow him to the door. Mitch turned to see him and noticed he was holding a knife in one hand and a gun in the other. He continued to walk to the door, and then turned and punched Paul and shoved him just long enough to get him back into the house and close the door. Brave. Paul tried to get the door open when Mitch yelled for his wife to grab his gun in an attempt to scare Paul off. It turned out he actually didn't have a gun. So, it, apparently that trick worked. Paul left and drove away. Mitch called the cops and an officer came over to take his statement. As the officer was getting ready to leave, Mitch's phone rang and it was Paul wanting to patch things up. Okay. Yeah, Just, sorry I pulled a gun and knife on you, but <laughs> can we still be friends? Yeah. <laughs> Just kind of perfect storm that, like, he happened to be with the cop and the cop was still there when it happened. Right, right. But, so, Mitch says yes and he talks Paul into coming back over. Police calls for backup, and they wait for Paul to come back. 45 minutes later, Paul comes back with another man in a pickup truck. Both are arrested, and Paul is charged with attempted kidnapping of Mitch. So, like, he does this, like, pretense of, I want to patch things up, but then brings somebody else with him as backup. Yeah, like, he's not here to patch things up. Yeah. So... Good thing the cop was there. Right? Like, again, perfect storm. Like, the cop just happened to be there, and everything happened to work out. Right, right, right. I mean, at the same time, like, I don't think that he would have agreed... To having him come back over. Thank God, because that other guy showed up with him. Right. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, like, but, he wouldn't have answered the phone. Yeah. If the cop hadn't said, hey, dude, like, answer <laughs> it. Like, so, at this point, they've finally got Paul in custody. Granted, not for the killings or anything. Like, they don't really have any evidence at this time. They're still kind of building their case. Mm-hmm. Um, but they go and have an interview with him. And at this point, Paul starts to have really weird kind of responses to the questions that he's being asked. Like, at one point, and you can, if you look at some of these videos, you can actually see clips of the interviews. Um, like, It Takes a Killer has a lot of information. That's one of the episodes. 
or one of the shows you can see this on. Mm-hmm. But so, like, when he's talking to him, like, one of Paul's responses is, if I am the killer, I don't want you to hate me. And the cop says, are you the killer? And he says, no, sir. That's weird. Yeah. I don't want you to hate me. Like, he's trying to get sympathy and, like, be friends with him while this is going on. killed, like, ten people. Yeah, so... Eight people. Seven. Oh, yeah, because the... The one that Because Jose survives. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. So, at this point now, they're kind of pulling everything together and all the pieces are starting to fall into place. So... The fingerprint on the video card they find matches Paul's. Gonzalez, Jose Gonzalez positively IDs him. And then at this point, they search Paul's home. They find um, a pair of his shoes that have blood on them that match both of the girls from Baskin Robbins. Because uh, they, they found, they saw the tread. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now all of these things are starting to fit into place. You know, like I said, they're, they're kind of realizing that he was more into the kill at, at that point he was way more into the killing than kind of getting that money and spending that money right um because the only thing that they really mentioned that he spends any of the money on is the red car like the money that he got from the robbing of captain d's he mm-hmm. puts into the car oh okay interesting so when he goes to court he's found guilty in all three murders or all three cases of murder and sentenced to lethal injection for each one. His lawyer tries to claim brain injury and diminished mental capacity. So they point out a lot of things like there are certain things that Paul will try to deny or appeal or go against and others that he wouldn't. So it was very erratic behavior. Um, he even... So he tried to plead insanity. Essentially. That's so hard to get that plea. Yeah, so it, they talked about, like, so he tries to appeal some verdicts and not others. Um, professing his will to die as sentenced after having fought to avoid such a fate earlier in his defense. Mm-hmm. At the same time, he starts becoming paranoid. He says some of the defense team he thinks are actors. At one point, he thinks that the government is trying to use mind control. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. So in cross-examinations, the prosecution, of course, attempts to... You know, say that all of this is made up, that he's faking it. Um, they say, you know, that he's just a crafty con artist. He's kind of making all of this up as a defense mechanism to, of course, lessen those sense- sentences. And they go back and forth. Um, like I said, so they do convict him and, you know, tell him he's going to die by lethal injection. Mm-hmm. Um, but it keeps getting stayed. So, you know, when they try to appeal this and, and say, you know, oh, he's not in the right mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's even one point where... It is actually stayed because the state of, the state is going back and forth saying, you know, is this right to do, you know, lethal injection or, you know, other mm. forms of, of killing. But he actually doesn't make it that far. He actually um, goes into hospital on November 1st, 2013 in the Nashville General Hospital, and he dies from complications to pneumonia, heart failure, and upper respiratory issues. Oh, wow. Now, while those are what he was charged with, they also tried to connect him with two other cases. They tried to connect him in, or they said he was a suspect in the 1993 Brown's Chicken Massacre in Illinois, so one of the places that was known that he had stopped at, Yeah, where two robbers killed seven employees, 
and the description actually at one point matched Reed's profile. His oh, alibi, wow. however, checks out, um, and two people are convicted of the crime. The second case is he was a suspect in a Houston area killing of three people in a bowling alley for which Max Sofer has twice been convicted. Hmm. And a lot of these, like I know we talked about and I had mentioned in the beginning, he did release a demo because he wanted, the whole reason for coming to Nashville was to become a country singer. If you check out, um, so either It Takes a Killer Season 1, Episode 22, and Cold Blood Season 3, Episode 13, there's a lot of video footage. Um, like I said, you can see where he's interviewed and starts acting really weird. You mm-hmm. can hear the demo. So there's a lot of information you can see on these as well. The demo. That's what I'm here for. Look, <laughs> I'm not here to judge. But? But he he definitely was not going to succeed. Oh, I'm sure he was amazing. I bet he was absolutely just the best, most incredible singer. <laughs> like... For sure, 100%. Like, he's got this in the bag. He definitely was planning on making it. Mm. It's, it's good to have dreams. <laughs> Absolutely. you got to start somewhere. <laughs> it gets you to where you need to go. You're right. You're right. You're right. Oh, man. Well, that was good. That was interesting. I hadn't heard of that one before. Yeah. yeah that was cool. It's I on- mean, not cool, but, like, <laughs> good story. Like, I remember the one thing that I, like, I was looking back at this, and I, like I said, Living there, I remembered the Baskin-Robbins portion of it because when we were there, it, it obviously changed, like, the atmosphere and the area around you. Like, you think of living in a small town where people feel safe and comfortable. Like, I was talking to my mom, and she was telling me there was this one night where we were having a sleepover with my sister and my cousin and some of their, their girlfriends. Mm-hmm. And my my cousin, so... They were twins, so the girl cousin was staying with us, and then her twin brother showed up with, like, a couple of his friends, and they just, like, crashed the party and, like, silly string, and we were playing on the street late at night. Mm-hmm. And then when this happened, like, all of that went away. Right. Everyone was very, you know... You need to be inside. Close it. to the chest, yeah. Yeah, like, you need to be inside, and... So I mean, it, it makes sense. It's, yeah. Like, to, to react that way, I mean, I would be the same way. Yeah, it definitely changed everything, and I always remembered... The Baskin Robbins part of it, I never really remembered, or I think maybe kind of knew or paid attention to the fact that like there were other people and other places that were involved in this whole one story. Right, right. Like it was more than just the one because you probably you're probably too young to remember the others, but yeah. obviously the one in the town you're living in is going to make a big impact. Yeah, that's the one that you remember, not all of the other stuff. Right, right. Damn. What a time to be alive. Shit's crazy. <laughs> People are crazy, man. But and now we get to hear your spooky story. I'm so excited yes, to hear you cover spooky this. Spooky story. Hopefully I can get through this without like making a complete fool of myself. Cuz like this. I feel like I can't even see. Like all these words are blurring together. I have faith in you. Thank you. I appreciate that. But my story is The Legend of the Bell Witch and the Bell Witch Cave. Which I think actually you gave me this suggestion when we were, like, going back and looking at things. I just remember you talking about it, and I was like, I'm going to look this one up. So, remember, fourth fourth or fifth grade, dumb kid. Yeah. Um, <laughs> dumb kid. Okay. <laughs> we, so my, my sister and my cousins and I um, would tell, like, ghost stories, and the apartment complex that was next to ours, where my grandma lived, yeah. was Belfort's Apartments. 
And so we thought like, oh, we'll do a seance. And, oh, and like we just talked like that story of the Bell Witch just, and granted, like it, it's not in the same town. Like there's, yeah. oh, there's yeah. a it's... distance between them. Yeah. But somehow like we learned about that story and just. Just legend. Yeah. Like legends get passed down from generation to generation. And so, I mean, and this is like the legend like where i got most of my information from is the is bellwitchcave.com so like they hella profit off this like you oh, can sure. you can tour the cave it's right up next to the red river so like you can go tubing you can i mean there's all kinds of stuff you can do there's you know not just cave tours but there's also like um like the grounds tours like the the ca- part of the cabin is still there so there's like a cabin tour and like, all kinds of stuff over there. But this story starts with John Bell and his family. Um, he is a farmer from North Carolina. And in 1804, they decide that they're going to settle in Robertson County, Tennessee. So his farm consists of 320 acres. And like I said, it's right up next to the Red River. So it's said to be, for the first 13 years, they live there very quiet, very peaceful. You know, they have a great life. There are members of the Baptist church there. John even became a deacon. So, like, he, they were having a, a, you know, great grand old time. And then in the late summer of 1817, some family members began seeing strange-looking animals around the property, which I don't know what strange animals Like Pet Cemetery or, like, things that had more legs than they should have? I'm not sure, but I just like to think of, like, the animals from Avatar. Like, the animated show. Okay. Like, like what is it? The turtle duck? That thing is so cute. <laughs> like, I mean, that would be a strange animal, right? For my us. Mind, my mind totally went to Pet Cemetery. That would be a creepier animal. I've never yeah. seen Pet Cemetery. I've seen the trailers for it. I always think of the, like, the main, like, image of, like, the cat. It looks like... Like the new Pet Cemetery or the old Pet Cemetery? The, I mean, I think the cat is very similar in both. Like, I remember the old one, it looked like a Maine Coon that was just, like, dri- dribbing with water. Like, all yeah. the fur hanging down. Like, like, drugged out yeah. Maine Coon? Yeah. Okay, okay. I get, I'm get. i getting it, the image. It could be the wrong type of cat. I, I don't really know a lot about cats, other than they're adorable, and I like to pet them. <laughs> but that's what I it looks like to me. I like the pet cemetery deal, since we're going with Spooky. Let's go with that. <laughs> so, they start seeing these strange animals, and then late at night, they start hearing knocking sounds on their doors and, like, the outer walls of their house, which I think is weird. And then later, those sounds are starting to be heard from inside their house. So, you know, you're knocking on your door. You're, knock- nope. you're knocking on your front door and your outside walls, and then all of a sudden, it's right at your bedroom door. And I'm like, oh, hell no. Like, I do not deal with that. Then there's sounds of rats gnawing on bedposts, which, I mean, I think could... You could just have a rat in your house. During that time, yeah. Yeah, like, it's just a cabin. What's what's to say to True. keep it from out? Um, there are stones being dropped on wooden floors, sounds of gulping and choking, which I think that's weird. But the one that freaks me out the most is the sound of chains being drugged through the, fl- through the house. Like, so, like, chains being dragged across the floor, which I think is weird. So the family, of course, is terrified, but they do not tell anybody that this is happening for over a year. Oh my gosh, the poor family. So they like they just live with this for a year, and then when things finally become crazy, John starts to confide in in his neighbors, which are Mr. and Mrs. Johnson. 
he actually invites them to come spend the night because he's like, look, I know I'm going to sound like a psycho, but just let me prove it to you. Come, come stay at my house. Like, I can prove this to you. So not only do the, the Johnsons stay for one night, they stay for several nights and witness everything that he's talking about. Oh, my gosh. So, like, they, he, the Johnsons believe the Bells. Like, they're like, okay, yeah, you've got some crazy shit going on here. He told him that he needs to tell more people about this and that a committee needs to be formed. An investigation started. To accomplish what, though? I don't know. This, they need to have a seance of the, something. That's how you make the, the spirits angry and invite them in. Play with the Ouija board. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But, so, after, you know, the, the word gets out about this house, people are coming from miles to come see whatever it is that's terrorizing the home. So, because at this point, it's still unforeseen. Like, they have no idea what's going on. They don't know why they're being targeted. Then all of a sudden, this thing that they don't know what it is has now has a voice. So now it can talk. People are asking, you know, who are you? What are you? What's going on? Why are you doing this? It gave a host of different identities. And then once the one that they believe to be the truest is that it's a witch neighbor of the Bells. And her name was Kate. So they believe, this is the one that they all believe to be true. So Kate is Bell's witch. Yeah. Okay. 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 <laughs> so then we get more into, okay, Kate, now that you have a name, why are you here? Like, why are you doing this? What's going on? Why are you tormenting this entire family? Well, she has two reasons for tormenting this family. The first one, she wants to kill John Bell. Of course, why not? Yeah, because fuck it, whatever. The second one is she wants to stop John's youngest daughter, Betsy, from marrying a certain neighbor whose name is Joshua Gardner. So she wants to kill the dad and stop the youngest one from marrying the neighbor. Weird choices. Right. First one I can see, not the second one. But she never explains why. Like, it's, she doesn't give a reason why she wants to do these things, but this is what it is. I feel like they have to be connected somehow. Right? I, I it's just too random. I agree. Like, I don't understand what the point of it is. For fun? But, like, any, like, pagan or any witch that I know, like... Any harm none do what you will? Yeah. Like, you don't do that stuff for fun. No. But... Over the next three years, Kate torments the entire Bell family daily. So it's not just like random occurrences. It happens constantly. John and Betsy obviously receive the worst of this. And I mean worse as in like physical abuse. Not just like banging things, you know, rocks being thrown on the floor, chains in their room. No, like physical abuse. They say that Betsy has her hair pulled. She's pinched, scratched, stuck with pins, beaten. And then John is suffering from spells of swelling of his throat. Um, he often had the feeling of a stick being stuck sideways into his throat. Ugh. I feel like just something like being constantly stuck to you. I think it's just... Ugh. Nope. Yeah. And then it says, and then came the twitching and jerking of facial muscles. Like a stroke? That's what I... That's what I kind of... I contribute it to. Like if it's not... If the whole family... Say if the whole family just made this up. Yeah. It would sound like he was having a stroke. And he was beating her. Yeah. If 
if, maybe that's why he invited the other family originally. To prove that he wasn't? Yeah. That I mean, that makes sense. I could see that. But, the, yeah. I just, I never had that thought till just now. <laughs> I mean. Like, going back and forth talking about it, I never had that thought about this, that until just now. Because I could see, like, it, if this did not happen, like, if this was just made up, like, I could see her definitely being afraid to tell anybody that her dad is doing this to her. Right. Especially in that time. Yeah. So, like, maybe, because I feel like. I do believe that there, you know, things can be haunted and there can be spirits, but I also feel like a lot of people automatically assume the worst and, like, they don't look beyond that. Right. Like, if you think of, like, there was an episode of Ghost Hunters where they went to visit this house and they just found all of these, like, gags. Like, they were trying to make the house seem haunted. And it was, like, cheesy stuff. Like, they could very easily be like, okay, this is why this is happening. Yeah. And so I feel like maybe... But at that time... Did they do that? They didn't have the technology for that. No, that but now, you could be but... having a stroke and not think. That's true. That's true. Not know what it is. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, I could see, like, if they hadn't invited the other family over and, like, had them witness it. Right. That's what was. They would have thought, oh, well, you know, maybe, maybe he's beating her or somebody in the game is beating her. Yeah. And she doesn't want to admit it because she's afraid. And they yeah. could say, oh, well, you know, the house is haunted. Right. And then, like, on another unrelated note, or maybe karma, he's having a stroke or, like, having some sort of issue or right. sleeping wrong or, you know, whatever the case is. Right, right. Interesting theory. Hmm. I mean, it makes sense. Like, I mean, I can see it. It makes sense to me. Yeah. But at this point, it's said that Kate starts, like, blasting him with curses and hideous threats and all of these other things. And, you know, John is just becoming weaker and weaker and weaker. And so is Betsy. Like, they're both just... You know, degrading, basically. But she... Kate is also becoming very well known. As not to just the locals, but... From all over. She's drawing huge crowds. People are here to see her. You know, they want to they get the shit scared out of them, basically, I guess. But it says that Kate is intelligent in many things. Those... The main ones being the Bible. And people's past and future. So she can tell you what happened to you and what is going to happen to you, apparently. That'd be kind of cool. I don't know if I want to know my future. I like to think I do, but what if I don't like it? I mean, there's parts of it I would like to know, but not all of it. That's fair. Yeah. Like, I don't want to know how I die or something like that. No, absolutely not. Because then it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like, you're so afraid of something happening that you end up making it happen. Yep, exactly. That's That's what I think about it, too. But... Yeah. Even winning lottery numbers would be nice. True. Just to know that I will eventually, hopefully, be a millionaire. Yeah. <laughs> but Kate finally accomplishes her mission uh, for the reason why she's at the Bell Farm. On December 20th, 1820, John Bell dies. So she has officially accomplished this. It's believed that he, Kate actually poisoned him. And she was like, yep, I did it. She took full credit for his death. Then in March of 1821, so about three months later, Betsy breaks off her engagement with Joshua Gardner, which is the second thing she wanted to accomplish. Oh, wow. So they're basically done. At this time, Kate's like, okay, I came, I accomplished what I came for. I'm done. I'm out. And she said, I'm going to see you guys in seven years. So in 1828, 
She actually does return, supposedly, for a few short weeks. And during this visit, she came to the home of John Bell Jr., so John's son, mm-hmm. and had long talks with him about the past, the present, and the future. She made predictions for the future. She also said there was a reason for John Bell's death, but she never said what it was. She's like, yeah, there's a reason I killed your dad, but I'm not going to tell you what it is, because fuck you. That's maddening. Like, that's how, I want to know. Like, that's how I imagine her saying that, because, yeah, because fuck you. <laughs> like, I would want to know. Why? What did, he, what did he do to you? Let me make amends. Yeah. You know, like, how am I supposed to know what I did wrong if you don't tell me? There are some things, yes, you should just know what you did, you know, right from wrong. Yeah. But there are other things that maybe you didn't realize. How am I supposed to make amends if you don't tell me what I did wrong? I still feel like that that has to be connected. Like the fam- like their family and the family that she's not supposed to be getting engaged to. Yeah. Something had to have happened between them that affected Kate. Right. To make her so vengeful. I agree. I agree. And it has because like she, I mean she terrorizes the whole family, but she like locks in on these two. Yeah, and she like really hates him. Yeah, I feel like. I feel like the breaking up of the engagement has more to do with that family than necessarily her. Yeah. Because she doesn't, you know... It doesn't sound like she's around. After she kills him, she's not really around. Yeah. Or no, that's not true. She she did go... She was still around. There's just not much information. Okay. Because she left in 1821 and came back in 1828. So there's your seven-year mark. Yeah. But I just think it's odd... But then, like, so after that visit, she's like, okay, I'm going to be back in 107 years. So that's 1935. Weird. Yeah, it it says that it's believed that she never actually left the area at all due to the strange things that occurred in and around the town. And, like, the Bellwitch Cave, which is supposedly where she lived and where she stayed. Mm -hmm. But I just, I find it so odd. And I found this, I found this quote on this website as well, which I thought was crazy. Um, hold on, I have to make it bigger because I can't read. Um, oh, okay. So since these interactions obviously date back to 1817, this is way old. But uh, former President Andrew Jackson was quoted as saying, I had rather face the entire British army than spend another night with the Bell Witch. They only spent a couple nights on the farm. But it's, he would rather, you know, obviously face death. Yeah. Than to stay on their farm again. Huh. And, like, Daniel Jackson is crazy. Like, if you ever read anything about his presidency, like, he's crazy. I think he's he lived through a couple assassination attempts. And if I remember correctly... Oh, wow. oh my gosh. Mr. My 8th grade history teacher would be so mad at me if I don't remember <laughs> this. Mr. Strange, I'm sorry. But he... I'm pretty sure Andrew Jackson would had, like, an open-door policy for his presidency. So he was like, the White House door is unlocked. And, like, you could just walk in to the White House and talk to Andrew Jackson. Oh, my gosh. That's... Isn't that crazy? I mean, that's kind of awesome, though. Yeah. You could never get away with that now, but... Oh, God, no. But, like, he was just like, yeah, if you want to come in and talk to me, come in and talk to me. And someone came in and, like, pointed a gun at him. Didn't shoot him. But I know of. I'd have to look it up, obviously. This is just what I'm trying to remember from... Eighth grade, I was... Thirteen, <laughs> maybe. Let's give it, give or take, twelve years. <laughs> oh my gosh! So like, I don't know. For that crazy man to say that, 
I feel like that place might, is probably haunted, but I also completely agree with what what you said, too. But supposedly, hundreds and hundreds of people witnessed whatever it was that was there. Yeah. I don't know. Did Oh, did she ever come back? It doesn't... It says it supposedly, but there's no, like... Nothing like how she talked to John Bell Jr. Oh, okay. There's nothing like, I don't know if the family died out and they just didn't return to anybody in the family, but it's rumored that she never actually left. Okay. So there's no like, no, I guess nobody was around in 1935 to be like, hey, welcome home, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if like the story died out and so that's why you don't see anything. I, I And I, I think that could be. Or she came back and when whoever she spoke to you didn't write it down. Or they probably just didn't believe him. That could be too. They were like, nah, that was too long ago. Yeah. There's no way. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, definitely place worth checking out though. Yeah. I mean it's definitely I mean it is called a legend, so <laughs> it could go one of two ways. Legends are supposedly based on fact, so uh, take it as you will. Yeah. We'll see. Right, right, right. Exactly, exactly. But do you have anything else to add for this week's episode? Not no. that I can think of. I don't think I do either. <laughs> Just, we have Twitter now and Instagram, so please follow us uh, at Spooky or Bust on Instagram and Twitter. Feel free to DM us on there if you have things you want us to talk about that you haven't heard yet, or uh, we're not, at this point, not really going in any particular order of states. So if there's a state that you want to hear next, you know. Just send us an email at spookyyourbust at gmail.com. DM us on Twitter or Instagram. Um, yeah, if you've got any spooky pictures to go along with your stories, definitely send those. Yeah, please do. Please do. Not, yeah. You know, spooky things where you can tell. Not like spooky things that are obviously fake. <laughs> if I get a clown in my inbox, I'm going to be pissed. <laughs> All I want to do that just... I, I know where you live. <laughs> just gonna be like hey have you checked our email today <laughs> any email I see from you I'm just gonna automatically delete oh my gosh I need to make a dummy account now <laughs> oh my god I do know where you live keep that in mind oh my goodness <laughs> alright well thanks for listening and have a good week have a good day guys <laughs>